Okay, again, so we're briefly going to cover uh, Christ-centered liturgy. Uh, we're going to go through it quickly because many of the concepts we have already spent time on. And I just want to uh, cover this teaching, which is coming straight out of Brian Chappell's Christ-centered worship. Um, uh, so we want to be informed by the living faith of the dead and let them influence us in our understanding of worship and the purpose and preservation of traditions. That's what that, that quote means. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. We want to be informed by that living faith of saints who have since gone on um, and let it influence us in our understanding of worship and our, the purpose and preservation of traditions. So, uh, so what is liturgy? Uh, liturgy is simply the order of worship. It's the structure of a service. Brian Chapel says, How a church honors God with its times of gathered praise, prayer, instruction, and commitment. That's liturgy. How it does what it does. And every church has a liturgy. It has some method of how a service functions. And this liturgy is... Um, this pro progression of worship a part of the creation design. We, when I said all human beings are created to be worshipers, right? That's what God intended. Um, in, the, in the Reformation worship book, Jonathan Gibson, in, in the reading that you had, uh, he, he, he describes it exactly like that. Man is called to be a worshiper. He says, this call to worship within a life and death bond Distinguishes Adam from the animal kingdom. Only unique, bearer of God's glory, he was unique as a heaven-bound Homo liturgicus. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The liturgicus. Uh, God's call to worship within this covenant of life was expected to elicit in Adam a response of faith and obedience, love and devotion with heart and mind and strength. Adam's reward for such a response was a fellowship meal with God at the tree of life. So see what he's saying? He creates Adam and he calls him is to respond to God with faith and obedience, love and devotion, heart and mind and strength. And Adam's reward is come and eat with me. Eat from the tree of life. And so for Adam, this is continuing the quote, so for Adam and all his descendants, a he was fixed, stitched into the very order and fabric of human life on earth. Call, response, meal. A call to worship through God's word, response by faith and obedience, love and devotion, a fellowship meal, union and communion with God. That's beautiful. <laughs> that changes your way you think about liturgy and, and um, the way what the church does. So um, throughout history, that idea of call, response, meal, um, it has also been described as liturgy of the word and liturgy of the upper room. The, 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 the liturgy of the, the scriptures and the liturgy of communion with God. Scripture, we know, is the only infallible rule for faith and practice, um, but no scriptural prescription for a corporate worship service. But a failure to consider what previous generations have learned about applying God's word, I think, demonstrates either foolishness or arrogance on our part. If we think uh, we can reject all that the church 
uh, for 2,000 years has thought on liturgy and on the service and what it's intended. I think we're missing on something important. Again, Reformation worship, uh, these guys say, as the magisterial reformers waged their war against idolatry, they did so with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. However, while they believed in sola scriptura, the Bible alone, and they applied this truth to liturgical reform, uh, liturgical reform, they did not believe in nuda scriptura. That's, that's the Bible only, not the naked Bible. Nuda scriptura, the Bible only. <laughs> the reformers did not write their liturgies uh, up Sorry, the reformers did not write their liturgies ex nihilo or on tabla rasa, ex nihilo, out of nothing, tabla rasa on a blank slate. Um, Rather, they took their cues from the ancient worship of the early church fathers, which had been corrupted by the erroneous theology of the Roman Catholic Church, and they began to reform it in the light of Scripture. Any church that cuts itself loose from this stream of Christian worship throughout history is a church that risks severing itself from her heritage and her head. For Christ is Lord of the church's history and heritage. He is the head of his body, the church. Six millennia. Since God first spoke his formative word of grace in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15. Thus, when the church gathers for worship today, she ought to reveal her ancient roots. We worship on the shoulders of those who have worshipped before us. We worship with all of the present and past. So that, that, that's, that's quite a powerful way to think about liturgy and to think about the importance of studying liturgy. Even uh, Josh was telling me the first day when we went up to Entoto, he was talking about um, saying Ethiopia had, had a revolution, uh, a reformation a uh, hundred years before, uh, and he, he was suggesting it was over the issue of, of uh, Mary, Maria worship, and, and this. And, and so there, there is liturgies, you know, these, this book covers much of the liturgies of the West. Um, there are liturgies uh, in the history of the church here that is worth tracing and worth understanding and evaluating and seeing um, uh, why men of God and studied men practiced and played these things. Uh, they, give a, they give an overview in Reformation worship of uh, distinctives of Christian worship. Uh, I'm going to read these really quickly, but I think that they are... Um, and I think worship is Trinitarian. Uh, Christian worship is focused on the incarnate word. Christian worship is saturated with the written word. Christian worship is centered on the preached word. Christian worship incorporates the visible word. Um, Christian, that's, that's, uh, that's the, the communion, the elements that we see. Uh, uh, Christian worship is tied to church discipline. Christian worship affirms the faith once for all delivered. Uh, corporate worship is a rich spiritual banquet. Christian worship includes serious, structured, and studied prayer. Christian worship is punctuated with praise, and Christian worship is well-prepared and conducted. So those are all values uh, that we, we affirm. You know, you hear that loud. You, yes, these are our distinctives of Christian worship. And, and because of these things, 
to liturgy. It's designed to prepare our hearts to be receptive and responsive to God's Word. All the things that we do, we're wanting to be responsive to receiving, hearing from God. Preparation for the Word and proclamation of the Word. And we should see the whole service as having a focus and a progression. Um, in their orders of worship to communicate the truths of scriptures, touch the hearts of worshipers with the implication of those truths, and then equip believers to live faithfully in the world as witnesses to those truths. So our goal is not simply to copy or adopt exactly everything that those did that they did in the past in these liturgies. Not just say, oh, this is the way they did it. Boom, let's do that. Um, but to learn from what they did so we can develop scripturally der derived worship services that serve gospel purposes uh, in the church today. Brian Chapel, he, he just says it this simply, and I think this is really helpful. Liturgy tells a story. We tell the gospel by the way we worship. We're, we're telling a story to our people every week. We tell the gospel um, by the way that we worship. And then what he does in this book is he through the, the different liturgies of the West and says, this is how they did that. Um, in Rome, everything was designed to be able to see the elements that relate to the gospel story. So you have the, 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 the crucifix and you have the, the elements and you have the way that the, the call to worship and the time of confession and assurance and, the, and then leading up to the, the elements. Um, in the time of Luther... Luther's liturgy was done in the vernacular. It was done in the language of the people. That was a significant and controversial change. The congregation in Luther's liturgy participates. That's, that's really important. They're not just watching from beyond what the priests are doing. The congregation is participating. And they moved from the idea of communion being a re-sacrificing of Christ, which is the teaching in the Roman church, um, to a rejoicing at the finished work of Christ. The, the taking of communion, the practice of communion, is that rejoicing in the work of Christ. Um, although Luther tended to avoid the Old Testament, Luther's um, uh, was allergic to the law, you know, because of the way it affected him early on and his wonder of grace. Uh, even his questioning of the book of James, you know, that sense of like, it's not, not enough grace, you know. So, uh, yeah, so he would avoid some of the Old Testament law, feeling that, uh, the Old Testament reading. Calvin um, is where you began to see the regulative principle really come in and, and begin to um, say we only do what is there in the scriptures. Um, and the, in the New Testament, you, you don't have much singing in the epistles, any of this. You have Paul singing in the prison. You have Revelation singing. Um, so that's where you get some of the theology of, well, if it's not, if it's not in the Scripture. But um, I, I think he, he justified it by saying singing is prayer, a form of prayer. You know, that's the way his regulative principle was brought in. Um, having the confession at the beginning of uh, the service uh, and in response to to the adoration of God and the reading of the Ten Commandments as part of his liturgy. Uh, we are actually studying back home. We're studying the, 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 the art of catechism uh, that I believe has been lost in the church and the idea that throughout the history of the church for generations and generations, thousands of years, 
um, there were elements used to, to catechize the church, uh, including the teaching of the Ten Commandments regularly, uh, the, the use of the Lord's Prayer. These were things that everyone was taught, memorized, expounded on, so the church was familiar with these things, and then the, the catechisms that were later developed. Um, but So that's part of what Calvin was doing. Uh, the Westminster approach in, in liturgy really elevated the Word of God in the services, including full chapters of the Old Testament and the New Testament in that liturgy. And, uh, the more modern approach to liturgy really became defined by the emotional flow of the service. So music became the primary instrument to lead worshipers from celebration to contemplation preparation for preaching. And, and I think it's important to, to see um, in the past the, the, the way that the church previously had using a call to worship and confession and these things to prepare us for the receiving of the word. And in the modern approach, it is kind of more like there's no, this music prepares us to do. Um, we would want to be not driven by the, the feelings that the music presents. However, I do think that the music can be used to bring a lot of these elements in, right? We sing songs about confessing our sin to God. We sing songs about the assurance of a song about thanksgiving. I think the songs can function in those aspects. So, uh, Brian Chapel goes into the historical elements of liturgy. Um, did you guys, in your gospel-centered class, I know you did your liturgies and things, did you talk about Christ-centered liturgy, gospel-centered liturgy. Okay, so um, what Brian Chapel says is that th all of these liturgies, uh, Rome and Luther and Calvin and Westminster and modern, the same historical elements. And the first is adoration. Uh, adoration, and that's, that's where the call to worship comes. It reminds people of the nature of their God and compels them to gather for His praise in greatness and goodness. That's Brian Chappell's definition of, of the call to worship. And that's why you, in Psalm 92, uh, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning, your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, at the works of your hand, I sing for joy. Psalm 60, shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power. Your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. So, you're beginning with the nature of God and compels us to gather for His praise in light of His greatness and His goodness. That's adoration. The second aspect is confession. Once we have seen how great and glorious God is, the next thing we become aware of is our sin. Yeah. Confession. This is admitting that we have sinned against God's holiness that we are in need of His forgiveness. It's acknowledging that. Psalm 32, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. By day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. 
I said, I confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So adoration, acknowledging God's holiness, leads to awareness of sin and confession. And following confession, we have assurance. We have assurance. Now assurance is different from absolution. What would absolution be? What is absolution? And I'm sure it sounds like in the Orthodox Church they offer absolution. They do in the Catholic Church. Yeah, it's the act. It's the act of actually forgiving someone. The priest says, "Te absolvo." I absolve you. It's his function. The priest is forgiving your sins before God. That's absolution. What we're talking about is assurance. We have just confessed our sins. Assurance is establishing confidence in the finished work of Christ. My favorite verse of assurance, by far. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Psalm 103, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Um, so, uh, so that sense of assurance is centered in what Christ has done. And the effect, the next aspect of liturgy is thanksgiving. Giving thanks. This is the response to the truth of the gospel. The response to forgiveness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He has, he has given you Christ so that you might fulfill His will, that you might be thankful to God. And that gratitude bleeds into petition and intercession. That is, make requests of God even as those who have been purchased with His blood. We are thanking God because He has forgiven our sins, bought us through the blood, and then we realize that actually gives us access to God, to appeal to Him, to cast our cares on Him. Philippians 4, 5-7, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. After we have engaged with God, interceded with God, we come to God, we listen to God, right? Prayer and petition, we are making requests of God as those who have been called to come, and then we listen to God's instruction. Preaching from the texts. Preaching from the Word of God. God instructs us. We already said Colossians 3.16, letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. What does it do? Teaching. Admonishing. We're teaching and admonishing one another. For 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we receive that instruction in the Lord. And then communion, fellowship with God, sharing the Lord's Supper together. 
1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the charge and the blessing. And Brian Chapel says, This reminds the church of the goodness of God extolled in the world and the need and the needed grace that will accompany and enable them to fulfill this charge. So the, the, the uh, charge and the blessing, sending them out under, under the need to go and carry out the will of God in being the good news and the gospel. Um, uh, by far my favorite uh, benediction is, is the Aaronic blessing in Numbers. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you. That the common pattern and order of worship in the church, that, that pattern of thanksgiving, petition, teaching, communion, and, and the blessing. He says, this pattern of worship reflects the pattern and the progress of the gospel in our hearts. Okay? Now, now hear what he's saying. How did you come to know Christ? At some point, you became aware there was God. Right? There is a living God. The acknowledgement of His glory. Adoration. And once you know that there's a God, you know what? You're a sinner. You have to repent. You have to confess. God, I am not worthy. That's the way the gospel functions. And when we confess, confess our sins, He is faithful and just. And we receive that's, we, we, know, we know what it is to have the weight of our sin lifted off of us and realize it wasn't because of anything we did. It is all because of Christ. And so we have that assurance that it is the finished work of Christ that has done that in our lives. And once you know that your sins are forgiven, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name, and do not forget His benefits. Don't forget to be thankful to Him. Why? Because He is the one who forgives all your iniquities. Right? Gratitude, gratitude. And once we have been giving thanks to God, we're able to, to have conversation with God. Lord, you have done this in my life. I need you. I need you to do this. I, I'm worried about this. I have this concern. I have this care. Make me holy. We ask these things. 
And then God says, you come, you come and listen to me, right? You, my new son, forgiven, thankful, I'm going to teach you. Come to my word every day and be taught. And as we are taught, we have fellowship with God. We commune with the living God. And then he says, it's time. It's time for you to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel, baptize and make disciples in my name, right? Go out, I go with you. Do not fear, I'm with you. You go out into the world. New Christians, right? Do you understand what he's, the connection he's making? He's essentially saying that the work of the gospel in every individual Christian's life has shaped he's, what we do in the church uh, for good reason, because it tells that story and it reinforces that story um, of the gospel. And that's how the gospel, uh, the, the church Sunday service becomes a, a um, what does he call it, representing. It's a representation of the gospel every week. Um, and, and he's arguing that that's the way the church has always done it. So it may look different now with a more modern feel. We may have, like I said, we may have aspects of adoration and confession that come within the songs we sing differently than having it read. But we could just as easily have it read, use a scripture reading, um, give, these, give these things. The progression of the gospel appears in the historic structure of liturgies. It maintains the priority of the word and the church has increased its understanding of the value and the use of scripture as the liturgy has progressed through the history of the church. Um, uh, and it's not simply about um, the flow or, or moments, you know, creating these separate moments. Um, it's to engage the people of God with their God and to move through as many elements of uh, the progression of gospel thinking. It's to lead the church in thinking through the progression of the gospel. There's a range of themes, emotions in worship, range of experience. Um, it's not just personal to devotion done all separately together. There's speaking, there's listening. And so we want to think about this as we our services. We want to think about the structure of it. We want to have a repertoire of songs that covers a broad range of themes and not just have a narrow range of things, themes within the songs that we sing. We want to be um, uh, familiar. And then you have the vertical and the horizontal. Um, just remembering, it's not an either or. Every aspect of the service has both elements. The horizontal and the vertical dimensions of worship, I think this is... Uh, Brian Chapel again. He says, the horizontal and vertical dimensions of worship actually cannot be isolated in any aspect of worship. Both are happening at both times. Prayer is directed to God, recognizing His glory, but offers petitions for His people, expressing human love. Preaching that fails to show love for God's word fails to bring Him glory, but preaching that fails to express love for God's people also fails to glorify Him. Praise glorifies the greatness of God and simultaneously encourages God's people with the implicit message that there is such a great God uh, and still delights to hear them. Worship must be offered with concern for God's glory and the good of His people. 
Worship cannot be the reflection of the gospel without both concerns. So when we were talking, you know, yesterday, we were making certain distinctions, saying this song is sung trying to show you, yes, we do this, but I think it's really good and important to remember those things can't be divided. It's not like we can say, well, we're having a prayer that's more, you know, vertical. No, they, it, it's both. Love for God, love for His people. It's the greatest commandment. It's fulfilled in every aspect of our worship. So we want to avoid being rote and settling into patterns of traditions. We don't want to become traditionalism with dead faith. We want to maintain a lively and active experience of God. Some of what we are doing... Um, oops, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, we talked about, and Brian Chappell talks about rubrics. Those are those pastoral explanations on why we are doing what we are about to do. Um, our liturgy is oriented toward an order and a flow through the service. It's not just now the singing time, now the announcement time, now the message, and they're all separate from each other. We want to lead people through the themes of the gospel and leave them with a sense of God, leaving under that benediction, that good promise and blessing of God. Uh, the benediction, um, uh, the nature of God, spoken over the people of God. Again, not simply truths about God, but leaving people with a sense of God being with them in the coming days. And finally, Brian Chappell says, worship should not be so narrowly conceived as being only about reminding people of their ethical obligations and doing proper things to honor God. Worship is about renewing relationship with the present Christ. That's amazing, isn't that? What's Sunday service about? It's not just teach or remind them of what they're supposed to be doing, how to live a holy life. They come on Sunday to have a renewed relationship with the present Christ, Christ who is in our midst. Has forgiven your iniquities. You know, you're using scripture, but you're adapting it to the, the call. The benediction, can, you can do the same thing. You can send people out under a benediction, but I really believe that in the church, one of the elements of liturgy that we lose in the modern liturgy is, is the benefit of repetition. So repetition can make something very rote, and we're doing it without thinking, but repetition can also put truth in someone's mind that they can access any time. The repetition of the Apostles' Creed puts the truths of, of the, the, the Scripture, the nature of God and the nature of the Gospel, into people's minds in a way they can access um, memorizing scripture is an important part of living the Christian life, battling against sin, encouraging one another, strengthening your own soul. So I really think there's a value in using benedictions repeatedly so that the church learns them, so that they begin to experience, I go out under this, and they remember it as they go out. Um, I, have, I have used the Aaronic blessing over my children um, for years and years, any you know, before bed, when I leave their bedroom, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord set, uh, lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. So when I choose that as the benediction on a Sunday morning, all my kids are like looking down the aisle. You know, they're like, you know, they they feel like they relate to one another because oh, Dad says that all the time, right? 
But, you know, when you realize what that's saying, the image of God shining his face upon you, that is the ultimate image. That's what, that's what Moses asked for. Lord, Lord, show us your face. We want to see your glory. We want to live under the Shekinah. We want to live under the blessing of your radiance. That's what God said. You bless the people with this. Bless the people with my presence. My shining upon them. That's beautiful, isn't it? Then you, then you start to read. You, you go through and you, you read. You see it comes up everywhere. I'm drifting. Uh, you read Psalm 4. Answer me, O God, of my righteousness. Um, O men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But no, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So here, he's saying, I'm being mocked by those who are saying, God says he's going to shine his face on us. Where is his goodness? Where is the shining of his face? But the psalmist understands, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. Right? They're looking to you. What are they looking for? Lord, shine your face upon us. Where's my health and my wealth and my prosperity? There's no God. They're talking in Zambia. They were just saying this prosperity gospel preacher just killed himself, like committed suicide. He posted online his suicide note. He said, I, I have prayed to this God. He has not given me the prosperity. And so there's nothing else for me to do. Someone tell my wife. And he went and killed himself. That's what they were, when I was in Zambia just on Saturday, that's what the pastors were talking about. They mentioned it on the sermon on Sunday. That's Psalm 4. There are many who say, Lord, show me some good. Shine your face on me. Give me what I deserve. My prosperity, my blessing. What does, what does the psalmist realize? Oh, Lord, you have given me. You have shined on me. You have given me joy where? In my heart, more joy than when they get their prosperity, than when they get their wealth, when they have their Corvettes, when their wine abounds. Man, the Word of God doesn't change. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing new under the sun. The prosperity gospel, nothing new about that. Psalm 4. They're wanting grain and wine abound. I come to you, Lord, shine on me. Oh, no. Let us humble ourselves and say, Lord, I know the treasure. Christ, the treasure, dwelling within me. May the Lord bless me and keep me. May his face shine upon me. May he lift up his countenance upon me and give me peace. Peace with God. Peace with God. Okay, that's why benedictions are so important. They're so important. So... Uh, you have numbers, and then I just went through the epistles. Romans 15, 13, 15, 5, 6. Uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians. Uh, Jude, which is well known. And what I do 
I have been able with these, um, and you'll see toward the end, I have the shorter ones. I have, I have all of the ones that uh, uh, up to Second uh, Peter 3.18 on the second page. Uh, where And you'll see I added the parentheses there, turning it into the benediction. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. Uh, again, let our people feel the weight of what you're saying there. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Doesn't Paul say, knowing him. That's all I want. I count everything loss in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And his, that's, what, that's what that benediction saying. May you grow in the grace and knowledge. And then after that, just these simple benedictions. May the grace and peace of God be Christ. I, uh, uh, you see, Psalm 20 is all this huge blessing benediction i've never used that on a sunday morning um i had a couple other there and then in the and then at the very end of that is hymns and creeds of the new testament this is you you've read as you've studied the, the, assuming that paul is maybe quoting a, a creed or an epistle or something like that i i've just thought that there may be use for, um uh for different elements, before communion, before a baptism, those sorts of things where it's good for us to remind our church of that. But I have been able for several years to look through our Sunday service, check what the themes are, look at what the preaching is going to be, and find just among these benedictions, um, benedictions that have related very well to the theme. Um, you know, you have, a, you have a message about, we just had one on, on marriage uh, from First Peter and marriage and the role of the husband and the wife and, and living our lives uh, for Christ in that way. I used Romans 15, 5 to 6. May the God of encouragement, endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? Now, does that mean it's about marriage? No, it's talking to the church. May, may you go out and live in such harmony that you are united with Christ and you give glory with one voice. But boy, it sure does apply to the theme of what we, we just did. Um, you know, you have, you have Christ in the resurrection uh, of the, the shepherd in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, and then you, you, see, I, you see I've broken these down in phrases the way that, the way that we talked about. I do that because I think it helps me pronounce these blessings over the church. If I just read it off like it's a sentence, I feel like we can miss it. But if I'm, um, but if I'm accenting the phrases, now as we go out, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power 
at work in us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Yeah. You see, there's a, there's a way to read the Scriptures. That, that's why I have it like that. So that the, the blessing, that the, the, the impact of what's being said, because it really is, that's concentrated. All these benedictions, it's like, it's like taking grace and being like, dense grace. Take that. You, know, you used to hand that to somebody. It's like, oh, I didn't realize how heavy that was. Um, read it in a way that helps them feel that. So, okay, done. Sorry, ran long. But there you are, benedictions. Little thing on benedictions. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that would be fine. And maybe I wasn't clear in that earlier, but that would be, that would be a great way you know, for you guys to, to lead. Let, let someone else, the person who's leading it vocally, and that would be a fine way to do it in the church. Even, even you know, we, um, I don't know if you guys have done your complementarian uh, classes yet and the roles of men and women and things. You know, we would hold eldership uh, to be male only for, in, for men. Um, one of the aspects, and this is something that is, is in discussion and there may be differing opinions, but, but primarily the way this has been held and what Bob has has, uh, has taught, and I think this is, this is true, when, when the person is standing up, things that we're doing, I believe that we are, we are exhorting the church, I believe we're teaching the church, I believe that we have authority over the service, you know, to some degree, um, and so I would hold that I think that the, the person leading worship should be a man, should be someone who has that, has a role, because I think they're functioning in a pattern way they're functioning even if they're not an elder in the church uh, they, they're functioning in pastoral things um, and so uh, in general that's we would we would not have women worship leaders in sovereign grace um, but what happens if the only person in the church that can sing is a woman right um, and uh, you know I think that would be a great way to do this you have an elder or something you know we, let's let's sing this I have ladies lead songs, you know, on a Sunday. Um, I ask them to lead off. Uh, sometimes they just start. Sometimes I say, let's sing verse 1. Step back and they sing, you know. Um, I don't think it's confusing to the church as if, oh, I've handed over leadership here. Now, I think that, sh that uh, she could lead in a way that seems to, t you know, she begins to <laughs> exhort or teach or, you know. Um, but... You know, if she were to pray or to give a prophetic word or something like that, I think those are reasonable, reasonable things there. So, just a thought. You may say, I, I have no one in my church. You, you send out a church plant. I have no one in my church except uh, this uh, woman. She plays keyboard and she sings. Okay. That's how I will do it. I will lead. I will, I'll stand before the church, do these things. I will have her, you know, do this. Um, same thing with like scripture readings, things like that. Uh, I have ladies do scripture readings all the time in the church and look for those things. So, good. Any other comments? Um, so, I think that, uh, that there were a couple things that, that came. Um, your comments right after your call to worship probably could have been a little bit clearer or, or tighter. Um, and it would be okay. Uh, did you have it written out? Or were you? Okay. Yeah. 
you weren't reading it. Okay, so you know it may be it may be good, especially if you feel very unfamiliar. I think for even guys that are very familiar, writing things down can be helpful. I usually have rough notes that I that I write out, but um, Psalm ninety six: Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Uh, tell of His salvation from day to day. You were trying to tie that to the to the gospel. And I just think it wasn't as clear as it could be. It was a little wordy and I, I didn't quite catch it. So, um, to the Lord all the earth, sing the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. We know we have been saved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So let us today gather and tell of his salvation and then go. You see, you see how, that, how that works? It's just, it's clear and it's a very clear tie. His salvation in Psalm 96 we are on this side of the cross. We see that as Christ's salvation. So that would just be a way to do that. I would encourage you to um, uh, be maybe uh, more expressive or just lead more. You did a good, you stood right up. You didn't hesitate. You stood here. You gave us verbal direction. I think you could just be a little more uh, direct in your leadership, like when you were when you're uh, sharing in between songs or when you're doing the scripture reading, um, you know, read it, read it with faith, read it with uh, strength in the way that you present it, the things that you're saying, um, speak them to uh, the guys well. Um, And then our countenance, you know, I was saying one of the things we remember is that the, the congregation is watching us in our expressiveness of worship. Okay, so just be thinking about that. Uh, are my eyes open? Are my eyes closed? If I'm singing about um, something that is reflective, you know, and questions, I'm asking this rhetoric question. That okay to have a, a pensive look on our face might be very natural. If I'm singing something jubilant or joyful, he will hold me fast. He will hold me. You know, um, then that let that reflect. Our smile, our joy. Don't be afraid to make eye contact, you know, with someone and, and, and sing that like I'm singing this to my brother. He will hold me fast. Um, let, let our joy come through in our countenance. Um, the, let's see. I love the song Behold Our God. I, th- I think that is a, uh, it's just one of my favorite songs and I love it um it uh, as a as a first song or I just I wasn't sure how well it tied to the call to worship tell of his salvation from day to day and then we started singing who has held the oceans in his hands you know what I mean um if it's uh to say you guys do you guys sing grace alone Yeah. yeah so let us tell of his salvation from day to day. I was an orphan lost at the fall. What are you doing? I'm going to tell you about the salvation. You know, so I think that that Behold Our God, it's a wonderful song, but I think you'd want to tie that in more with the call to worship and think what's the, what's the progression here. Um, another thing to think about um, when we, uh, with with Behold Our God or songs like that, songs that are written specifically out of a particular scripture, it can be helpful to use that scripture as a call to worship. 
Um, right? So, Behold Our God is written right out of Psalm 40, or, or Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth with a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale? Who's measured the spirit of the Lord or what man knows his counsel? Get up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up and fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. The Lord comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Let us sing of this mighty God and behold our God. Now, if you, if you look at Isaiah 40... Behold, our God comes before the questions. But it's okay to do that in your call to worship. You might say, you know, as we begin worship, let us ponder the greatness of God, and yet we are called to look to Him. And then you can read who has held, uh, who has measured, who has given Him counsel, and then go back up. Get up on a high mountain. Do you need to say, O Zion, herald of good news? Not necessarily. You can, if the church would understand it. But you could just say, get up on a high mountain, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up and fear not, behold your God. Or it says, say to the cities of Judah. You can say, say to the people, behold your God. We come, Lord, to behold you and worship you. Let's worship together. That, okay, do you see what I'm doing there? It is a scriptural call to worship. It's, the song is directly related to it. Um, sometimes that doesn't work as well. Uh, it works great if there's, a, if there's a very clear reference. Sometimes, like, it, like I'm thinking of the Psalm 25, bless the Lord. Um, uh, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Okay? It uses all of the words... In the, do you guys know that song? To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Maybe you don't know. In you I trust, O my God. It uses all of the words of the song. I feel like it's redundant to read the call to worship with all those words and then sing them. But it maybe not. We're going to sing these words together from Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in whom I trust, let me not be put to shame. Let my enemies not exalt over me. Um, make me to know your paths. Teach me. Lead me in truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Let us worship God together now. And then you start singing. To you, O Lord. So, um, just... Uh, another way to be thinking about the content um, of what we're singing. Uh, another thing, this would be one of those practical things. Um, there are certain aspects of songs that uh, everyone is thinking, we, we have to sing that part of the song. There are other things that you can, a technique is just to skip parts of a song. You know, have you ever been to a church where they do hymns and they say we're going to sing verses 1, 3, and 5? Out of the hymnal, open your hymnal. Let's sing verses 1, 3, and 5. Well, well what's wrong with 2 and 4, you know? Um, maybe it's time-saving. Maybe they're a little off-topic for whatever. But uh, doing Behold Our God, as you were doing it, um, I think Abby was trying to figure out where, where you were going with it. So that would be another thing. If, you, as, if you're up here leading, you have to remember you're leading the musician. Now, 
the, so you have to give them direction. So you, you have to uh, say to them, you, you might get to um, uh, the end of Behold Our God, Seen on the Throne, nothing can compare, come let us adore Him. Do verse 2. Who has let him know where you want to go? Let's do verse three. Um, we have hand signals that we use. At, uh, you know, this is the bridge. You know, verse one, two, three. Or I'll just call it out. Let's sing verse two. Then the musician knows exactly where to go. He can play. Um, when you are accompanying, uh, one of the other things is to to, especially when you're working with someone who's not a musician, give very clear musical cues. Um, I have one of my best friends, uh, Brian Dietrich. He plays on. He plays keys, and uh, he is a powerhouse. I've been leading worth, worship with him since college. Uh, he just went uh, with another church to serve them in worship, um, and uh, I miss him dearly. But we would laugh because he is very musical. Like he 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 feels the nuances and all this of music, but he plays so beautifully that I can never tell when to come in and what he's doing. Okay, so. Can you feel where we're going to start singing? You have. Now here's another way it could be done. Which is easier? The first one. Why? Because it's... You, you feel the rhythm. So, so that's, you know, on both sides. If you're standing up here and you're supposed to be leading, tell us where we're going. Don't be afraid. Don't feel like, I don't want to interrupt anybody singing at it. No, we want to know where we're going next. The musician needs to know. Otherwise, he is going to play hesitant and, you, and you're not going to know what to do. Um, so if you're leading, do that. And if you are the musician and you know the other person um, is, may not be as, as musically aware, play in a way that really gives them what they need. Um, and, though, and so in Behold Our God, you could totally skip that bridge. That's one thing you could do. Um, you know, you could end with who, who has held or who has felt the nails in his hands. Behold our God seated on the throne. And that's where I thought we were actually going. I thought, oh, that was a good, a good decision. We don't have to do the high part. You don't have to. You sing quiet. You brought the guitar down. And you just signal the church. We're done. I don't think anybody's going to be sitting there going, oh, what happened to the chorus? What happened to the bridge? You know, now they, they might. But context, you know, in, in any different context, you can lead in different ways. I Okay, if you as a musician are handling it uh, in a repeated way, you know, so, and, and a lot of the songs, it's just you're sitting in that one, one and four, you know. And if he says, you, then everybody knows. But if he doesn't come in, I can do this all day, you know. Right, you're not. Nope. And if you do have a verse, like, I'm, I, I don't know if this will work. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to think ahead, and I can't think far enough ahead. Um, uh, 
What song are we going into? Yeah. How deep the Father's love for us. How that. But, but you see, like, so you could do the, you could do the two lines. That resolved. If he doesn't come in, just do it again. See what I mean? And you don't, and you could, well, what I would probably do is I, I did the full two phrases the first time. The next time I wouldn't do the full. I would just do the, the first part and just repeat the first part until he feels it and comes in. Um, using another vocalist to lead and you just speak. Um, Incorporating different elements. One of the things that you guys can think about is maybe you want to, we, we, we just went through the whole liturgy um, and talked about gospel-centered liturgy. Maybe you're saying, I want to sing a song like, He is our God, and then I want to ask the guys to just confess their sins. You know, do a time of confession and assurance. Read a scripture of assurance. You know, feel free to use some of the elements. If you want to pray, go ahead and pray. You know, use some of the different elements in, in what we're doing. Um, the other thing is uh, calling out lyrics. This was something that I thought earlier. Um, if, if you find yourself in a situation where the lyrics are not up on the screen, okay, then the best thing to do is to just give the church direction on that. They're not coming up. Uh, how deep the Father's love. How deep the Father's love. How that He should give His only Son to make a wretch. Watch. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have. If I would hopefully have the words in front of me. If I don't have them, then you're stuck. That happens to me a lot. They're like, oh, every verse starts with the same. In Christ alone, here in the what of Christ I stand. I can't remember at the end of the line. But you see what you see what I'm doing. You're you you can you can go ahead if you have the words in front of you and the church doesn't. I'm not even singing. I'm just letting you sing it. I'm just giving you the line. You you don't have to give the whole line. You can probably give three words and they remember the line. If it's a song you're not as familiar with. Go ahead and take a minute. Tell them more words. You know, give them the first opening phrase. That's what I would do. That's a way to avoid the emergency. Like you said, what happens if the screens go down? Screens go down. What are you going to do? Power goes out. All right, we're going to sing this anyway. Oh, Lord, my God. Oh, Lord, my God. When I in awesome wonder. When I consider all. Worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout. The universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to You see, we don't, we don't need the words. And, and uh, another thing, here's 
this is for this is more this is an advanced worship leader move. Okay, <laughs> um, that's uh, I tell we we sometimes do sing till noon because our service goes from ten to eleven thirty, and then sometimes we we miss long extended times of singing, so we'll sing till noon. We add an extra half hour after the message and just sing together, and um, and so. You know, I have some of my worship leaders, I tease them. I'm like, oh, I guess this morning was sing to 11.58, you know? What's going on? He's like, well, I finished the songs that I had. I'm like, you are a worship leader. At any point, you may be asked on a say, you can always, you know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I mean, you can... You know worship songs. You can pull that out. You know, um, power goes out. I have songs planned that the church isn't familiar with. Okay, it's time to call an audible. That's a football term, American football term. That means that the, the quarterback on the field who's throwing the ball gets to not do what the coach says. You know, the coach told me to do this. I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to do something different. You know, you... you you go ahead and you, uh, you try, you do something else. Uh, sing two songs that you remember, cut the worship short, something like that. If it's familiar songs, you're fine. You, you can call out the words and you can do that. But um, Good. I think, oh, the last thing is, um, what's the time signature? Do you know? Is it? Count it. Uh, uh, what, what key is it? In? I just lost. G. Where is it? I feel my faith Count it. Count it out loud. count it. I have no idea. I've tried to figure. I don't know. Is that what it is? That's what I thought. I think it's four and then three and then four and then three and I think the chorus changes. Okay, so you guys don't realize that as non-worship leaders. I learned, I really, you know, because I learned it and I played it and I'm fine. Uh, and then I got the youth worship band together and I've got my son on on cajon and we got a girl on violin and piano and bass and guitar. And I'm like, okay, now we're going to play this. And, and, and they weren't, the drum wasn't working. So I was like, let, let me show you. Let me show you what it is. <laughs> I sat down. I'm like, I have no idea what to do with the song. It took us an hour to try to figure out what to do with the drum. Um, so, yeah, there, there's certain songs where the timing is a little bit tough. Um, and you just want to be conscious uh, you know, of what that looks like. And if you, if you have the, the awareness to do that, that the musicians have the awareness to do that, um, that's, a tough, that's a tough song. Wonderful song. Really love it. All right. Any thoughts? You, you did a great job of, uh, of expressing 
your worship to God, leading expressively, lifting your hands, um, smiling, uh, even you know, bowing down at one point. That, that makes a profound statement about what we're singing and why we're singing and, and about uh, how we are called to respond to these truths that we're singing. So thank you very much. Um, um, so you had uh, you had great content uh, of repentance and forgiveness in that in that uh, uh, our Father in Heaven song. I wasn't familiar with with the song. Um, I didn't think I don't think we had the right Our Father lyrics up. We didn't have the we didn't have the right lyrics. Yeah. So so one 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 thought lead toward lean toward familiar. Lead towards something that, that folks are gonna um, know. Uh, your your comments. Uh, we're a new church. We are still learning. <laughs> That's good. How do you how do you handle a moment when it's feeling awkward or it's not coming together? You know, you, you that that's a fine way to to just acknowledge. Say, folks, thanks for bearing with us. Uh, we're we're learning here as we go. Um, and I also thought that uh, the 10,000 reasons, the connection from Psalm 104 to 10,000 reasons, um, that, was a, that, was, that was well done. You know, this psalm that just lists out blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing of God and then say, now we're going we're gonna to sing this responding to these 10,000 reasons. So those, those uh, were great elements. Um, I think that the, it was difficult to follow. There are multiple things going on. You know, we had songs that we maybe were unfamiliar with, um, but, but some of the direction was a little hard to, to follow. You said we were going to read all of Psalm 104, um, and then, you know, what made you stop when we were reading it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Once we're, once we're up here, we realize it's one thing to write out a liturgy on paper, it's another thing to stand up and lead a group of people through that liturgy. Um, and so that's, that's, that's an important thing. Um, I, think that, uh, I think that Psalm 104 was a bit ambitious. When you are going to read a whole chapter of Scripture, 35 verses, that's a lot of verses, especially in the midst of singing. Um, we said earlier in the liturgies that uh, like the Westminster Liturgy was introducing full chapters of Old Testament and New Testament. It's one thing if we sit everybody down and we read a full chapter. It's another thing if people are engaged in singing and then we do something as long as Psalm 104. So I think that you could pick a portion of it and, and tie it more closely to that 10,000 Reasons. You know, we're going to sing the song 10,000 Reasons. It speaks about just the, the limitless blessings of God. So let's listen to Psalm 104 about uh, just these lists of things that God does to bless his people and then pick up a portion of it and do that. Um, I tried to think, I said, if I, was, if I was wanting to be really bold, and I know I would get pushback from my, some of my elders on this, but if I was saying no, I really think, and I think sometimes this is important, the overall impact of reading this scripture is worth it. And the length of it is part of the impact. So if you look at a psalm like Psalm 107, Psalm 107, 43 verses long. But Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from lands from the east and the west and north and south. So God is coming to gather people. And then it gives four testimonies. Verses 4 to 9. Some wandered in desert wastes. Okay? But then they come to the point in verse 6. They cry to the Lord. And then verse 9, he satisfies. So the testimony of those who wander in the wilderness. And then verse 10 through uh, 16 is reflections. Those who had, um, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. So it's a testimony of those who have been under uh, depression or, or, or oppression or prisoners. Or, um, and then it tells how they cried out to the Lord and were freed. Then verses 17 to 22 uh, uh, some were foolish through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. So there's people who were sinning. And then 23, some went down in the sea, to the sea in ships doing business in great waves. These were, they were adventurous. They were, they were risking their lives to do things. Uh, and they cry out to the Lord and they thank God. And then it testifies in verse 33 to 43 what God does. He turns the rivers into deserts and the fruitful land into a salty waste. And because of the evil... so. That's a psalm that has a wholeness about it. Um, the other day in Zambia, they read um, from uh, Psalm 136, uh, right? Uh, For his steadfast love endures forever. Every other verse, right? They had the congregation repeat, line after line after line. It's a long psalm, but there's an intention in reading it. So if I felt really strongly like Psalm 104 is one where I feel like we should read this in its entirety, I'm, I would introduce it that way. I would say the, the, lev- the blessings of God and the reasons to thank Him are endless. We're going to read Psalm 104. We're going to read the whole thing. It's 35 verses long. It's longer than we would normally read. But let's allow the listing of all God's blessings to really wash over us and then let's sing together the other thing i thought is i might break it into a responsive reading i would introduce it the same way and say we want to we want to read this in a way where the reason after reason after reason to bless the lord is is given to us by this scripture and so we've designed it as a responsive reading and then i would break it up with you know, two, two verses at a time. Leader reads two verses, you know, something like that. I was just thinking, those are just creative ways that I could think to read something really long and make sure people knew why we were reading it. Okay? Um, I think that the Romans reading, I'm not sure it really connected with our Father in Heaven song, that forgiveness. Because the Romans reading as a call to worship uh, was talking about God's wisdom, right? So it would be good to do a song then that speaks about the wisdom of God. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can, you know, ask any of his words? And I also think that as a call to worship, you ended on verse 35, which was quoting an Old Testament passage, but the next line is, for from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be glory forever. That will function as a great call to worship. It's, it's, it's more of a, of a, of a um, doxology, you know, uh, but that, that could work or you could modify that. And then I would do a song, something on the, the wisdom of God. 
Um, I think that knowing you, Jesus, fit well coming even off of that as a theme of the knowledge of God, knowing God, um, coming into that. So I think that, that that fit all right, but I may have changed out that first song. Um, so I think more clarity, giving, giving us real clear direction on what to follow, those would be um, good things. Okay, so let's, let's run through the project so that we all understand um, so this is a song evaluation project. So what you're going to be doing is you're going to choose four worship songs and you're going to do a, a theological and scriptural analysis of the songs. This is to teach you, we're going to talk tomorrow about songs. This is just to teach you to be mindful of what we're singing and what are you teaching the church. Um, uh, you know, I said I said earlier today to someone in conversation. You'll you'll hear me this. You hear me say this. You know, um, it is said often about uh, the church. Um, show me your songs, and I'll show you what you believe. What you sing is what your people believe. Okay, now that's a strong statement, but you have to remember uh, you preach. Week after week after week. And the word of God is there hearing the word of God. And over time, God is shaping by the word of God. Um, you know, much the same way that water carves through the land and leaves a mark. Or that wind and sand will smooth over the surface of stone. Um, that's the way that the preaching of the word works. It shapes us uh, and molds us over time. Um, but when people leave this service... They forget your sermon. You forget your sermon. By the next week, if you can remember your three main topics of your sermon, that's pretty good. Let alone, you spent 20 hours on it. Um, the, our minds don't hold that content uh, in such uh, as well. But when you put something to music, we can remember songs from our childhood. Every word. I can remember songs in, that I listened to in high school and college. It comes on the radio. I know every word. Why? Because music enhances the ability to memorize and to learn. And so when people walk out on Sunday, they walk out singing the songs that we sang. When they're in the middle of the week, uh, they, they would have to find their sermon notes to remind themselves of the truths of that sermon. But they can sing a song that you sang on Sunday to themselves to encourage or strengthen themselves. Does that make sense? So uh, music is a powerful shaping element. And so we, it's very important that we take seriously the diet of the church as it comes through our songs. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. But so I want you to find four worship songs and do an analysis on them. What is the content? What do, am I teaching my people when they sing this? So three of those should be um, songs that you enjoy and you think are great to use in worship. Here's three songs I think are just absolutely great. I want, if I'm a senior pastor, if I'm a worship leader, I want my church to know these songs. 
I want them to be taught by these songs. And then the fourth song, I thought, we, is to take something that's popular within evangelicalism today, but one that you would not recommend be used, and then do analysis on that. Why not? When you look at it theologically and scripturally, why would you not use it? Okay, does that make sense? Um, so each song, you're going to take uh, and you're going to evaluate it in four ways. You're going to do a theological analysis. So each stanza of the song, each chorus and bridge, um, define as many specific theological concepts that the song represents. Okay? So you're going to look at the verse. What are the theological concepts that are here? And you're going to do that for verse, chorus, verse, verse, bridge. Okay? Then you're going to write down a scriptural analysis for each stanza, chorus, or bridge. List out scripture references for the truths, theological concepts and responses um, that are presented. So, so when you see, um, when you see, okay, this truth comes from this scripture, or this, or the the hymn quotes this scripture. Okay, I want you to put that in your document. These are the scriptures. Verse one references this scripture, this scripture, this scripture. And I want you to cut and paste. Do you guys have a Bible program? I don't want you typing everything out. Do you guys have a Bible program at all? Nothing on your computers to access the Bible? You go on, online to cut and paste scripture? Okay, that's what I want to make. So, so when I say, you know, uh, scriptural analysis, um, you're going you're gonna to say, oh, this line comes from this scripture. I know that. Um, Highlight that scripture, cut and paste it into your document, and list out all those scriptures. Verse 1, these scriptures apply. Verse 2, you're basically scripture footnoting the song. Make sense? I don't want you to just use the references. I want you to list the whole scripture, because I think that this project can be a resource to you uh, in the future. Okay, great. Um, then the third is a response analysis. Discuss the requested or desired response that the song makes of the worshiper. What is the song asking the worshiper to do? And that could just be a paragraph. You know, this song is calling, you know, we, we did um, uh, take my life and let it be, you know. This song is a prayer of the worshiper offering to God everything they have. You know, that's the response. That's what it's calling. And then an application analysis. And this might be more clear after the class tomorrow. Um, discuss the pastoral application of the song to the congregation. And then consider giving examples of how the truths and requested response in the song can serve individuals that you're ministering to. So, um, this is a song we're singing in a service, but you know that someone is going through something. You know that there's a woman in the church, her husband is divorcing her. Okay? What does she need to sing? What, what song, as her pastor, does she need to be singing to her soul to encourage herself? What, what truth and why? Does that make sense? So whatever song you pick, you, you would say, you know, 10,000 reasons you might say. And you might say, uh, this is a song that points our, our hearts to gratitude. And so, you know, folks, you know, someone who might be struggling with, uh, with complaining, I want them to sing this song as it forces, you know, as it encourages their heart to gratitude, you know. 
Um, something, something like that. Uh, so each song evaluation should be about two pages and not longer than four. So, and a lot of it, you know, you're cutting and pasting. Um, but don't, you know, don't pick 15 verse scripture passages and fill yourself all up as, ah, I said four pages. Come on, we're all smarter than that. Um, what you're going to have is that theological analysis is going to be uh, a longer portion because you're going to say, you know, this is the doctrine of the atonement. You know, this covers the doctrine of the atonement. This covers the doctrine of the resurrection. This covers, you know, whatever it is, forgiveness. Um, you're going to list out those theological things, themes. Uh, and then your scripture, you're, you're not producing anything. You just have to go through your Bibles and through your minds and what you know of scripture and say, where do I find this truth? Where, where is this backed in scripture? And then your response analysis is something of, of a, a paragraph or two, and the application analysis is, is, you know, one to three paragraphs. Pastorally, how you would think through that. Um, okay, so the response is, what is the song calling the worshiper in a Sunday service to do? And, um, how great is our God? Sing with me how great is our God. This song is calling us to sing <laughs> and to sing about the greatness of God. That's your response. What is the response from the worshiper? Uh, but the application analysis um, is uh, um, someone who uh, may find themselves distracted by the cares of the world, you might say. You know, the, they, they, they're always distracted away from the, the things of God. Um, this song is calling their attention back to God. That's the pastoral application. So I want this person to sing this song because they need to have their attention drawn back. Uh, you know, sing with how great, to the greatness of God. Um, or you might look at the a verse, uh, the, the splendor of a king, uh, clothed in majesty, the lion and the lamb, um, he wraps himself in light. Darkness has, tries to hide and trembles at his voice. You know, so someone who is dealing with depression or, or difficulty, I would want them to be singing. You know, when the Lord comes, they, the darkness has to fade. And so when this person is feeling weighed down in their soul, they can sing this song and remember, no, Christ brings light. The darkness has to recede. Hope in God. The greatness of your God. He will drive away the darkness. Does that make sense? The, uh, um, okay. Is that clear? For guys? I, actually, tomorrow, my hope is that we have time tomorrow. I was going to do one song uh, for you guys so that you can see what that, what that looks like. Um, he was talking about formatting. And should we consider, because I was saying I formatted the... the the corporate reading that we were doing, and I told you that I formatted these benedictions so that um, so that I'm uh, because they're so concentrated. I want people to really feel uh, phrase by phrase what's being said. And he said, "Should we do that with all of our scripture readings? You know, should if I'm going to do a scripture reading, should I write it out and phrase it out?" And I said, "That's a great question, um, and I would uh, I would not do that for every scripture reading. I would do it for intentional purposes." 
The reason we're doing it when we're reading publicly is because it helps people read when you see the visual breaks. Um, the reason I'm doing it with the benedictions is because it's so compact, I want people to hear phrase by phrase what's being said. And so I was just explaining, uh, if you're reading a narrative, you're reading one of the Gospels, you're reading a story, um, that's already written with its own breaks. I think you should still, you know, read through before you try to read it publicly. You should be familiar with the scripture. I actually have a chapter. I wonder if I can send this to you guys. Um, I'll try to find it. Uh, uh, a, a guy named Max McLean, he's a, he's a professional actor and a reader, and he wrote a book about um, preparing to read scripture, how, how to publicly read scripture. And there's one chapter in there that uh, I hand out to the folks. We have a, a team of folks in, in the church. And that's one thing to consider is um, choosing people for a specific reason. And I think that the same way that, that God gives gifts to the church, um, gifts of serving, gifts of faith, gifts of, not every gift is listed there. Uh, obviously, gifts of music and worship leading, those aren't listed there in, in Corinthians. Um, but I do think that there is, there, uh, you want to find someone who is gifted in reading Scripture, has the ability to read it well. Um, I wouldn't just put anybody up to read Scripture publicly. I, I look for folks who have the skill to be able to read it in a way that presents well to the congregation. Um, so we have some, some wonderful folks that do this. It's not like that's a, a rare skill. There's plenty of people out there who can read fine, but there's other folks that can't. Uh, and, then I, and then I said, but you also want to think about a specific purpose because there might be another reason. Um, let's say, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. You might have someone who wouldn't normally naturally present well as a reader, but it serves the church to have that person read because of what it says about the church and gathered together. Um, so you may have, uh, and I, I'm making this up off the top of my head, you know, maybe there's someone that was, was in an accident and was, was hurt, uh, you know, and they, they can't speak correctly, but the whole church was praying for them that they would be able to recover, be able to you know, speak well. It might make sense for the church to rejoice and have them come up and read scripture, even though it, it may be, less polished than, you know, something else. Or does, that, does that make sense? To have a child come up and read who isn't your precocious child who gets all the words right, but who, who you know, works their way through it and the whole church is with them, not because they're a great reader, but because we hear from the mouth of children the praise of God and read those types of things. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily then say, well, let's put them on the scripture reading team, you know, that sort of thing. Uh... Yes, so I would be, if you feel you need, you want to think through how do I read these scriptures, that is, um, I'm just going to have to ask my administrative assistant, I know we have it around here somewhere, that, that would be the answer, I don't think you need to, but I do think you always want to practice it, just be careful not to get up and presume 
we always forget where the really hard names to pronounce are. You know, that alone can make can leave you standing up here looking uh, uncomfortable. Um, and then there's also just the the phrasing. Uh, we, we should be familiar with the cadence. Oh, I also said, sometimes there are things written in the epistles. Paul has, has very, very complex thought processes that are written out, and they can lose us. So I, I'm not necessarily saying I would break it out into phrases, but I would read through that enough so that I knew where to slow down so people could catch the concepts. Um, if there are portions, sometimes there's things that, like the main point and then the next section doesn't quite, it's kind of adjacent, but you need it to understand the next part. I might speed up through some of those parts that are a little less relevant to the main point and then slow down again for more relevant points, things like that. Head and heart, we never really got to yesterday. Um, the idea between the, the knowledge and, and the truth uh, and the affections that should come from that. Um, and so he says, uh, we're not just singing songs. Like I just told you, you, you we are what we sing. We believe what we sing uh, or uh, show me what you sing and I'll show you what you believe. He says we are to lead believers in a battle for truth. Part of the songs that we're singing is we're leading believers in the battle for truth. Um, and, and, and he just says more than just being lost and losing ourselves in God, God wants our worship to be intelligent and informed. He wants to stretch our minds as we consider the greatness of his being and the wonder of his works. Um, and that our affections are not just to be excited. It's not just to have a, a pep rally. Um, and, and I will say that sometimes to the church. I'll say that when we, when we, I know we have more guests than normal. I'd say, you know, okay, maybe you've never been to a church that is, is um, has drums and electric guitars and you know, people are raising their hands. Maybe that is a little uncomfortable for you, but we want you to know, this is not just emotional excitement. We're not here for a pep rally. Our lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. We've been forgiven our sins and given eternal life, and that causes us to sing with great joy. Um, so, you know, please don't feel uncomfortable. As we worship, we would love for you to join us. Let's continue to sing. Um, just trying to set that in context that we're not to be uh, just doing this to generate our emotions. Um, and then uh, Bob says, we tend to favor devotion over doctrine. And that order needs to be reversed without losing either. That's a great statement. We need more songs that help us think deeply about God and help us respond with the whole heart and emotion. So, um, so what would you say for yourself? Are you more prone to, uh, to devotion or doctrine? More prone to emotion or truth statements?
I was telling you guys earlier today, I love hymns. I love the wordiness of stuff, you know. So I would tend to be on that content side, that doctrine side. What do you think of the people who are coming to the church? How would you assess theirs? Do they lean in a particular direction? So, so what is important for us then? We're all saying that's where we are. What's important for us in this head and heart tension? You know what a pendulum is? A weight at the end and the string, right? What's the problem with a pendulum? When it gets to one side, what happens when you let it go? It goes the other side, right? It swings like this. Um, we are like pendulums in our lives. I think it's part of the effect of the fall. And, um, and what we need, like you said, we need to be here. We need to let the pendulum come to a place where it's in the middle and we're, we're having both. So it might be important for us as pastors who are uh, lean more toward heavier truth, want to avoid emotionalism, those things. We've seen the abuse over here. So we are swinging. We have to, we have to realize that's what we're doing. You're, that's what you're describing about your people. Your people have been here. They're swinging. Okay? So I think it's our responsibility to be alert to that and not over here. It's like when Bob kept telling me to slow down my music, slow down my music, and then I got too slow. And he's saying, why? Just get yourself a metronome. Stay in the center. Yeah. Um, that, that really is what we need to do to tend our souls. Don't overswing. Uh, deny or, or um, be so fearful of uh, godly affections being stirred and be, you know, that, um, that we think that just means it's all emotionalism. Uh, let's, let's really commit ourselves to saying, no, truth is going to produce emotion. God created us as intellectuals with emotions, with emotional responses. Um, uh, and even, even Christ, when he was on earth, you see that. He speaks truth, um, but he feels all the things that, that we feel. He's passionate. Zeal for the house of God consumes him. Um, so I think it's important for us to, to really make sure that in that swing, we try to help each other be, be balanced and have both of these. I would say what I would do is I would just be more um, verbal about it. I would teach more into it um, than, than overswing or say, I'm then try and swing back. I would just be very upfront about it. Um, I, would, I would say things like, you know, uh, we, you know, um, as we sing this song, the truth about God should make us love God more and it should make us express our affections. This, this song says to clap. Um, and I know some of us may have come from backgrounds where uh, emotions drove too much of what was going on. And we don't want to be driven by emotions, but we are filled with joy because of this truth.
So let's not be afraid to express emotion that is rooted in the truth of God and not and, and let's do this together. You know, like that sort of thing. Acknowledge what has gone on. Talk to our people. I mean, our people are, they're our friends. They're the people that we're relating to. Speak to them as you would to uh, a person that you know. You know their background. You know their history. Acknowledge that. Um, let's, uh, I think that's the way I would do it. I would teach into it. And I would look for ways to apply it. When you're preaching, these are things that, that we can work into. When you're preaching, if the Word of God is calling someone to a rejoicing response, whatever text you're in, apply it to what happens on Sunday morning. Um, you know, if you're teaching on that zeal for God's houses, consume me. You know, maybe we just say, Jesus was passionate about the things of God. You know, he probably was not the kind of person that stood there singing a song just dispassionately, just sing, you know, reading the words off the pages. No, he had zeal for God. He loved, the, you know, the, the things of God and the house of God. He went up as the psalmist. He went up singing to the music. He went up aware that he was going to clap his hands and shout for joy to the Lord or kneel down before God. Let's make sure that we have that same range of expression. Um, good. Uh, internal versus external. He has a... On, the, on page 170, the, the first sentence under the heading, Biblical praise is normally expressed, spoken, and observable. Um, that is important. That's important in the whole head and mind or head and heart concept, right? Uh, this truth is coming in. I believe it. I'm grateful for it. Um, it should have an impact on us. It should be observable outwardly. Um, our bodies respond to what affects our soul. If you don't think that's true, get your friends together and watch the soccer game. Watch the football game, right? What happens? What happens when your soul is lifted and Ethiopia scores that goal? Yes! It's your body responds. Your body responds to that. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, so this is something that Again, that overswing that we said, it's, it's an overswing that we tend to be reserving for the area of faith and spirituality. We, we express it, right? It's like you come home at night to your girlfriend or your wife, you, you, you see her on a date, or you go to your wife and you say, I just want you to know that I have been thinking about you all day and I am very, very grateful for the affections and I feel very deeply for that. I think you are a wonderful person. I love your character and your nature. I hope that you feel loved. And that's the extent of your expression, right? No. It's, it's hey, how are you doing? I love you from my intestines. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
does affect you and see your parents. Not this, I am here to honor you because I know you are my father. I know you are my mother and you raised me. I am thankful for those truths. No. You walk in, you're like, Mom, I love you. I've missed your cooking. Right? It's true in everything else. Let's not, let's not. This was another thing that uh, when we're talking about the, the Holy Spirit, um, Doug Hayes said this the other day, teaching on the, on the seven shared values of Sovereign Grace, he said he had heard years back one of the pastors at our church in talking about the spiritual gifts. He said, um, don't let misuse uh, be an argument for disuse, but an argument for right use. I think that's important in this conversation. You're dealing with people who are struggling over misuse of emotions, misuse of spiritual affections. And what we have to say is the scripture won't let you go to disuse. The, the scripture won't let it. The scriptures are full of emotions, start to finish. Right from, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, I shall call her woman. Right? That's emotional. All the way to the elders, whenever they hear it, they take off their crowns and throw them down and fall down before. Right? It's just filled with emotion. We have to appeal to our people. We have to appeal to ourselves because we're wrestling with it just as well. Right use, correct use. That's why we need to live in these tensions. Um... Any other thoughts on that? that he also makes that, that comment about people will learn best from what you model. And they will rarely rise above the level of their leaders. Okay? So when I'm talking about you're leading or you're standing up for the congregation, um, what you reflect, your people will follow. You just, we need to remember that. Leading at, in all things. So... You know, we talked, remember I said the other day that Martin Lloyd-Jones in Spiritual Depression, he talks about how God creates us with a, with a personality. Did we talk about this? Or was that, yeah. He creates with a personality. And when we get saved, he does change our hearts. He does give us a, a unique joy. But he doesn't change our personality. You know, um, people who are like this, they're going to tend to stay like that. I, I, when I was in college ministry, Drexel University is in Philadelphia. It's an engineering school, right? And so I had all these engineering students interested in Christianity and they're going to school. And then they would meet someone, they'd fall in love, and I would do their wedding, right? And I would tell this joke uh, at the weddings. I would say, how do you know when a Drexel engineering student is in love? You know, he feels something. You know, <laughs> if he's, yeah, because they're just like this. They're just, they have no emotions up a dad. You can't shake them. They're unflappable. They just, you know, it's just like that. Um, that's, that's, that's the way it is. So, you know, yes. So I think it's important that we take in. When you, then you get someone maybe who, who tend, is an, is an artist, right? An artist who, who tends to want to, 
um, think in creative ways, think in deep ways, relate to other people's experience. They create art so that other people can experience it. They want to know, what is it like when you experience what I made? You know, they're, they're riding uh, this wave. They're in tuned with what other people feel, in tuned with what they feel. Um, they get saved. It's not like, it's not like the, you know, that, those up and down ride, God is going to be like, oh, let's cut the top and bottom off, give a happy medium, you know? No. God created them to be passionate. How are they going to write songs that express affection for God if, those, if that zeal gets cut out? No. Let them get saved and let them use those heights of emotion. How are they going to write songs for those who are in difficult times and despairing times if they're, you know, not, nothing against engineers, but if they're that engineer, you know, and they're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is hard, you know. You, 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 we're talking about these hard things going on in, in town, you know, the, the war. You're like, oh boy, how are you doing with that? Yeah, it's, it's tough. The war is tough. Like, that's it? That's all you have? Yeah, well, I'm an engineer. So like, I, I guess I don't think too much about it. You know? It's, it um, you know, and then you get someone else writing the song about what's happening and why it's wrong. And, you know, right? So, so, yes, I think we need to know our people. But I think both people need to be exhorted. For those who can be ruled by their emotions... They need to be reminded that Christ is their rock and their refuge and their shelter and their strong tower. Right? You don't have to ride this wave all the time. Because you know Jesus Christ? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when your emotions start jerking you up and down, remember Christ. He will help you stay stable. And then the person over here that is, shut everything down. And I believe, but I do not want to be ruled by these other emotions. You have, to, you have to take them to the scripture as well. And say, I know, you've, I know you feel reserved. But do you believe you should obey the scriptures? And the scripture this morning says you're supposed to shout. What are you going to do with that? You know? Uh, Scripture says to you, you're supposed to weep with those who weep. So you may not agree with, you may be concerned about the trial they got in, and maybe, you know, you may not agree with what they did, but they're hurting now. How do you help them? How do you let your emotions engage? You, you see what I mean? I think that's what we, that's what we do. And, and in worship, same thing. Uh, I told you that quote from the Southern Baptists, you know, if you see us standing like this, I think that it is good for them to remind us of reverence. Not that we're forgetting reverence, but, but that we should not do anything that is irreverent, disrespectful before God. And it's good for us to remind them that the Lord says rejoice always.